Hiya, and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. And whether you're listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, on Bangor FM, or on FM 105 in Dunpatrick, you're more than welcome. Thank you for listening. Tonight, I'm with a local singer, local sound artist. Well, you know, not coming and going, but moving to Belfast um, for permanent residence pretty soon, I think. We'll talk about that later. It's Isabel Anderson. Isabel, how are you? Hi, John. I'm doing well, thanks. Good. You know, I feel like we've talked already today too much. Oh, we have, yeah. I don't think we've got much else to say, actually. <laughs> we, um, I started the day in Bangor. And then I picked Isabel up on the way through Belfast to our studio here in Lisburn at Lisburn's 98. Uh, the studio's very warm and I'm, I'm fading fast it's and we've co- just look, hit record. John, it's cosy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's toasty, as they say. I think I need to get like a bucket of ice that I can put my feet in anytime I'm in front of a microphone now because I just feel so hot all the time. <laughs> I think... I think that you deal with the interview situation badly, John. I think you get nervous. Yeah. You know, because you were like this before, weren't you, with other people? Red light syndrome. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But in any way that you can deal with that, if it's ice, go for it. Well, Isabel, you have a lot of experience in front of a mic because you are a singer-songwriter, you're a performer um, in different guises, and you record a lot of your own work, you produce it. So, I mean, you've, you've seen, you've experienced from both sides of the glass, so to speak. Yeah. Or I guess these days it's more just both sides of the computer screen or the mouse. Um, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Have you any tips for me then on my uh, fear <laughs> of the red light? Well, I think... <laughs> Well, I think you've probably got just as much experience as me, John. We're quite similar, aren't we, in that we perform and record and do soundy things. Kindred spirits. Kindred spirits, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, if I had any any advice to anyone in this situation, it would be breathing. Take a deep yes. breath, John. Okay, so in, yeah. And I know you're a fan of the breath. Uh, that's it. In and then out again. Nice. Yeah, I'm a um, big fan of breathing. You are, yeah. Um, I've I've always thought that of you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one First thing I realise. <laughs> um, we actually were talking about that earlier. Um, that's going to come up later. Our mutual love of breathing, mm-hmm. because that's something that's come up in both of our artistic practices. Breathing as sort of like a, a way to um, engage the audience. Um, but I don't really know where to start. And let, let's introduce the listeners to you, Isabel. Okay, yeah. um, you, you keep trying to deflect it back to me. That's <laughs> that's good, good trick. Yeah. Um, you may be the most accomplished guest I've had in the case, but I'm not letting you away with it. So, Isabel, <laughs> where did it all start? Because I first got to know you eight years ago, nine years ago, when you first moved to Belfast. Oh, my God. It was, well, it was 2009, yeah. So Oof. it was... No, it feels, it feels like longer. No. You first moved to do your MA. At Sark. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd moved. I was living in London before that. Um, so I moved over here to do my MA and then I stayed to do the PhD. So it's been, yeah, I've been here kind of, to be honest, like what you were saying at the beginning um, of the show, you were not quite sure whether to say I was local or not because I feel like I do have now quite dual residency or belonging in both here and then the Brighton area from a little town called Lewis which is just outside Brighton in Sussex and the last sort of five years I've spent equal time in both um so yeah but I am kind of yeah I'm, I'm 
coming back to do another stint here. Dual citizenship, shall we say, because we're so yeah. welcoming in Northern Ireland. <laughs> yeah. if, if this what right. if this poll came out that said we were like the most welcoming place. That's ver- right. Various well, counties. Yeah, I mean, I, I was so I was living back home at the time when that came out, and um, and yeah, like it's. I think it's true in lots of ways. Really? Yeah, I know. It's. I know it seems weird. It's just that. I think what it was, well, I didn't hear the welcoming thing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that people had the best quality of life here. Well, the people were happiest. That was here. actually a different poll or something. Oh, okay. this, a new one came out really recently uh, saying that we were the most welcoming to visitors wow. too. Well, do you know so, we, our tourist board is spending great money yeah. on getting people to answer these polls correctly? Yeah, <laughs> no. So I think both of those things are true, and obviously there's a difference between visitors and people that want to live. Yes, and I'm not saying that people in Northern Ireland are not welcoming to people who want to live here, but I just think it was meaning probably holiday makers wasn't it probably and for sure people are very welcoming in that regard uh-huh. for sure well how did you find well two, two part question what what made you want to move to northern ireland in the first place and how how was your experience getting settled down here i wanted to move here because i got a scholarship it was it's <laughs> like <laughs> well i mean thank you for being honest yeah but that- that great department of education and learning. Yeah. But, you know, that's really, this is going to lead on to the next bit, which is that then I wanted to stay. Yeah. Because... You got more funding. Because I got more funding, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also that uh, that funding actually gave me a good quality of life. Yeah. Whereas if I'd have stayed in London, I would have had a really bad quality of life and I wouldn't have been able to exist on it. For sure. So that's like one really practical reason why people in Northern Ireland may have a better quality of life is because you can actually afford to live on a relatively sort of meagre uh-huh. uh, wage where you really can't anywhere else. Um, and support that like artistic practice that you have, mm. whether you're, say, a musician yeah. like yourself or if you're a visual artist or whatever. Yeah, it's really one of the only places in the country, apart from I can think of like a couple of other cities in the whole of the UK and Ireland together where you could live comfortably and be an artist. And, not, and Belfast is one of them. And then the other thing that makes Belfast quite different even then is that it's got. It has actually got quite a lot going on in it, especially to do with creative stuff, and even like moving back to Brighton. Like Brighton's a great place, but it doesn't have as much going on artistically as Northern Ireland does. Well, that would come as a shock to a lot of yeah. people, I'd say. In and it came Ireland as a shock to that. me moving back because I hadn't lived in Brighton for, and I've never lived in Brighton. Like I grew, like I say, I grew up in Lewis, but Brighton's ten minutes away on the yeah. train, so it's the place that you would go out and do most stuff. Um, And I haven't lived around there for about... I hadn't lived there for 10 years. So coming back was like rediscovering it all again, which was really nice. But I did notice that just in terms of... for being an artist in the city, there's not as many opportunities or um, kind of... Even the amount of galleries, like Belfast has more galleries. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which is amazing. And the thing is though, Brighton's so close to London. There's so Mm. many people in Brighton who do lots of interesting, amazing things. But to actually live there and be 
an artist that isn't, let's say, kind of working in a really commercial sector, it's nearly impossible to get by. Okay. And everyone has to get a job working in a cafe or an office or something, and then you do your art practice outside of it. And it's the same as in London, and that's what that's the kind of existence I had in London. So you were in London, mm-hmm. and you were were you gigging a bit at this stage before you moved over here? Yeah, I was gigging a lot. So I was doing at least one gig a week, um, sometimes two, and w- with a full time job and two hours of commuting a day, and was just <laughs> completely exhausted by it, to be honest, and just wasn't getting anywhere at all, and was finding that I just that that time spent working, commuting, and then gigging meant that I just didn't really develop in the way that I needed to musically I it was only when I came over here that things started to really take a shape for me have you had you released any of your albums at that stage or did you release them once you were over here I'd released an EP okay which was very kind of amateur you know in terms of it was very kindly recorded by um, a friend from university in his bedroom and he was kind of wanting to get into recording and stuff so and he did it for free and he did a good job but um, you know it was one of those situations where you had a very very short amount of time we got the recordings done it was just me and guitar um, I put some backing vocals on when I got the recordings sent over and I actually did the artwork for the CD which was really bad <laughs> I actually illustrated it. Can we find this it. online? Does it still exist? God, probably in the t- recesses of the internet, yeah. Mm. Um, I've tried to scrub my early presence yeah. completely from the internet. It's hard, though. It's hard, yeah. It is hard to do. Um, so I'd released an EP. Okay. Um, but I'd never... I, I'd never kind of... I think when you're in London, you get so swallowed up by the sheer enormity of it. So the idea of trying to get that promoted or launched or anything just I just didn't know how the hell to do it and then I think being in a smaller city where I actually had like for instance like where you actually have friends and colleagues that you see on a regular basis and you can build up a network Mm. of people that can support what you're trying to do and you can support what they're trying to do it makes all these things much more straightforward whereas when I was in London so I was there for three years like I said I would gig nearly every week I only two or three times would cross paths with the same person and that's incredible like I I just did not you just do not have the same kind of network it's always strangers you turn up to another gig the next week and it's strangers the next transient existence uh, sliding doors and all this And, and the thing is is that's not how things grow no, it's not how a scene develops or... Yeah. I mean, so much of music that's really important to a lot of people uh, becomes that way because it was fostered in a city or a town by a lot of people interested in the same thing, all helping each other out, like you said. Mm. Um, someone helps someone to grow and the other person... So it's a feedback mechanism. Yeah. It, it happens in punk music and it ha- happened in like Liverpool. Just ev- every, You can chart it all back to a scene somewhere and you're saying maybe Belfast allowed you to build a little bit of a network better yeah. than in London? I th- well, I think I met some, you know, right at the beginning, I met some very generous people who, in particular, John McGurgan and um, Pavo Bignall. 
I think that's how you say his second name. <laughs> Habo. Um, I, I believe you say John. Second name is McGurgatron. McGurgatron, yeah, that that's right. Hi, yeah. John. <laughs> yeah. And they did a night called um, Vibic, Vibic Music Night. It was Friday nights at the Black Box. Okay, yeah. Um, the small room at the Black Box. And it was just like a jam session. Yeah. And, um, yeah, me, I went along with um, my friend Paddy, who is also from Lewis and had just completely coincidentally ended up in Belfast studying at the same time as me. And we used to play music together. So we started um, going to this jam night and they were just really friendly and nice and were into what we were doing and we were into what they were doing. And that really started a kind of, um, well, not avalanche, but... (laughs) A a process of, you know, things rolling off each other. Yeah. So that got a gig and then that would get another gig and that would get another gig. And then during the that y- first year where I was doing my MA at Sark and I was learning how to use the studios and stuff, I would use an hour here or there in the week to record my own songs mm-hmm. as well as doing the work for the MA. And by the end of the year, I realised that I had enough to re- release an album. So did and And then it was this moment, this epiphany moment of like... Oh yeah, so you release an album and then people have something to focus on with you <laughs> and that's when people do reviews and that's when people get you on the radio and that's when people then, you know, buy into what you're doing. <laughs> Bit of a slow burner there. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this album then was Cold Water Songs. Mm-hmm. What will we play off Cold Water Songs? So uh, this this song, Wolverine's Lullaby, do you want me to tell you about it? Yeah, go on. Okay, well... um. It's written and it's based on this folk tale from Cornwall. There's this little town called Zena and it's right on the end peninsula of Cornwall where Land's End is. And the, so the story goes, there's this mermaid called Morveron and she fell in love with this choir boy who was singing in the church choir. Oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something you'll be able to relate to, John. And... Um, <laughs> Oh, I don't know whether I'm going to have to cut that or not. <laughs> <laughs> this is more like this is your life, this folktale, isn't it? Um, and she was was so enchanted by his voice, and um, that every night she would sort of wander up and listen to the the choir practicing. And um, one time she convinced him to come back to her sort of mermaid underwater cave dwelling. In Zena, there's this kind of cove, and. Um, and she, he was obviously very happy to do that, went with her, dived in, and she forgot that he couldn't breathe underwater and he drowned. Oh. So it's based on that. I mean, it's kind of like we were talking earlier about how a lot of my songs to date have either been mopey or smutty. And this one's a bit smutty. So I kind of smutted it up, really. It's one part each, really. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of angsty stroke horny. <laughs> um, I really love the chorus of this one. Well, it's not really a chorus. It's sort of that folk tradition, A-A-A-B sort of, isn't it? So maybe it's a bridge. I'm what not really it? sure. No it, um, no, it is a chorus. Oh, yeah. Can we call it a chorus? Yeah, it's like A-B-A-B. Not to get bogged down in the terminology, but... Yeah. Um, Moverin's Lullaby. Yeah. Listen close As the sun begins to go the river starts 
So that was a bit of Morverin's Lullaby from Isabel Anderson's first album, Cold Water Songs. You are listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, and my guest tonight is Isabel Anderson. You still with me, Isabel? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I'm about to pass out. <laughs> Just about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the oxygen is fading fast. We, we're yeah. going to get, we're only a quarter of the way through. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got a table to hang on to, it's all right. <laughs> you can hang on to the mic stand, but uh, okay. don't shake it too much or we'll get rumble. Oh yeah, sure. you know, I, I appreciate. Uh, I love having someone in the studio who is a bit of a you know n- knows about the tech and the mics oh, and stuff. Yeah. And you were eyeing up my microphone earlier. Oh yeah, love it, John. Yeah, yeah, you love that condenser Just action. Loving that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love all the don't touch the mic. Yeah, do touch the mic. It's all in my head. Phantom power. Yeah, phantom power. Uh, yeah, like how. Ha- What's your... this, the latency problem we had at the beginning. Oh, oh it was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> I love someone who can deal with latency. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Just, you know, all it is really is like looking in a mirror, but in stereo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> do, you, do you know the way people do this mind-blown thing now, post-internet? Like people people like do this like uh, claw thing coming out of their heads that says, my mind's blown, I'm doing that right now. Are you doing that right now? <laughs> uh, so... You released Cold Water Songs, you realised a little bit more of what it is to be a singer-songwriter, pardon that phrase, because it's such a overused yeah. phrase now, but you realised what it was to be to be a sort I of like a like working a musician. I think it was a recording artist. <laughs> that makes All right, John, <laughs> it's a bit more professional like, than that. Uh, like Madonna? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, uh, no, just because when I was in London, I felt... You know, in some ways I felt a lot more like a singer-songwriter because I was really doing the whole kind of almost troubadour, go mm. around all the different jaunts and haunts. Cafes. Not jaunts, it's haunts. Uh, cafes, pubs, whatever, wherever, and just gig, 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 and met all these different other people yeah. who were in exactly the same position and some people that, you know, went on to become hugely famous. Oh, yeah, who was that? Um, well, in particular, Ed Sheeran. He's, he was one of these people that you... There's some people on that scene that you just remember. So he was always somebody that just stood out as being really good. Um, even though I'm not, so I know... He, got, he, he was the ginger of that scene to, to make it yeah, immediately, yeah, yeah, so to speak. You, statistically, there was only ever going to be one, wasn't there? <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, no, but he was really driven, though. Like, he was 17 when I knew him at that time and was incredibly driven. And that's the thing. Some people... They just know that that's what they want. And they don't want to do anything else. That's it. That's all they want. Um, And then then there's a very small percentage of people in that group that manage to do it. Yeah, there's so So, many factors that that weigh into it. And so so many 
points along that process that many people find out, oh, actually, this isn't really that great, is it? Yeah, so, and it's the realising that there's no plateau yeah. as well, because lots of people do certain things and they think, oh, that's me. Uh, yeah. I've, I've succeeded, but it's it's never about that. It's about what's next after that. Isn't yeah, it? and and I think that also, well, anything you do in life, but especially anything that's as intense as that, you always say no to something else. So you will say no to having a certain amount of education, or you will say no uh, to having a certain level of relationship or intimacy. If you, you know, if it's that intense that you're touring all the time, or you know, there's yeah. always things that you say no to. So, well, you got um, your education. You got, got a master's at Queen's University Belfast in sonic arts. Yes, and uh, I was, I was on, I was on your your coattails. Um, you you showed me how to fill in the form right to get the funding for the <laughs> masters, and I did it the year after you. <laughs> I just I wrote it, and you just put X at the bottom, didn't you, John? <laughs> and even then, I had to hold your hand when you wrote when you held the pen. And so then you started the old PhD, and uh, and then I I I copied you again, and did that the year after. <laughs> yeah, by that time you could sign your name. So, yes. Yeah. Um, but what you managed to do, which I didn't quite manage to do, was continue um, sort of your. Uh, practice as a recording artist, a, a popular a music recording, recording artist. artist. John, um, I yeah. I went off on a on a tangent and did a kids album and <laughs> sort of got very confused. That's still recording. Uh, yeah, it was it's still um, a recording artist, John. But you you managed to get another couple albums out of yourself. Uh, <laughs> I squeezed you another. Sque- you squeezed out. them out. Um, the dark path came next. Yes, yes, just dark path. Sorry, dark path. But a lot of people came. do that though. The dark path. So maybe I should have called it that. <laughs> but <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. There's, maybe there's something there's something in there. Mm, um, yeah. Three word in my garden, cold water songs. The that's dark true, path. That's true. Actually, yeah, that's true. Um, what can we play, my love? Um, would you say this is sort of representative of the album? The album's got lots of, um, it's got quite a range actually because yeah. Paddy's on Cajon in some of it, Gas is on violin in some of it and then a couple of songs we're all playing together. But this is one of the, I'd say it's a number three. If there's a scale of five of intensity, this is a number three, John. <laughs> I think this is one of my favourite Isabel Anderson songs, you is know. It? Yeah, I think this one speaks to me. Um but you, you you glossed over there two key contributors to uh, your music over the past number of years, Paddy and Gassia. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, oh no, I'd never want to gloss over them. But Paddy, I remember Paddy because uh, we played a gig in the Black Box together years and years and years ago. Um, we played some in the Wallabies and around different places in Belfast, but this one in the Black Box stood out because it was for charity and there was like a blind date game. Oh, that's great, wasn't And it? I was one of the competitors and it was, it was so win a good. date with Paddy. Oh, if I um, could relive that night. But I got wind that you got to go for like a big expensive steak dinner yeah. with, with Patty. And I was like, I wouldn't mind hanging out with Patty for a yeah. night and for steak dinner. So I entered the blind That's date. That's great you entered, John. And uh, were you the presenter and you were yeah. asking the smutty questions and yeah. I had lined up loads of great innuendo yeah, and smutty you, you answers. Yeah, you were particularly good, I thought, John. But he didn't choose me as the winner. No, I know. Well, you know what he's like. <laughs> Thanks for the, as you know what. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have to edit that out either. Um, but that was that was a fun night. So Paddy played Cajon uh, yeah. in your band. That's the box that drummers sit on. Yes. Um, <laughs> listeners, so if you you know you see the guy who slaps on that, yeah. like he's like sitting on a box. That's a yeah. Cajon. Um, well, Paddy's like Paddy's one of these incredibly talented musicians. 
and happens to also be very, very good at other things too. So is now doing, um, he's gone to Dublin to do a postdoc. Oh, now. wow. I mean, he's actually living in Belfast, but he also works in Dublin. So he's really, um, he's just one of these people that's very good at lots of things, but he's obviously particularly good at playing drums. And so he's always played kit and then he also played cajon very well and was yeah. able to get lots of different um, textures out of it. So it mm. worked very well for us. Are you getting aroused, John? <laughs> I did, did a really good <laughs> eyebrow movement when you said textures, though. Um, and Garcia played violin. Yes, um, yeah. And Garcia is sort of like the MVP of this podcast radio show. Yeah. Everyone seems to bring her up. Yeah. She's, 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 I oh, think, the God, key like? protagonist of this um uh, network that you're talking about yeah. in Belfast of artists, musicians. Oh my god! I mean, honestly, I think she's made such an impact, and yeah. she is. She has left now, and I think people are going to really, really notice the difference mm-hmm. because, again, she's just a very generous person, very generous with her contacts and time and talent and skills and everything. And yeah, so I'm not surprised that lots of people have brought her up. Really. Well, let's play a little bit of my love from Dark Path brackets, The Dark Path. (laughs) (laughs) Long, long ago, I fell in love. A handsomer man there never was. And he was as gentle as a white dove. start I let him in I knew all along how much I loved him and really you know there's no better thing than love my love we'd be together most every day and how I him when he went away I'd stare at my window and softly I'd say oh love my love days turned to months and months turned to years I'd say love I'm happy as long as you're near he'd tell me that there was Love. 
That was too good to just play a little bit of. You know, if, you, if you've listened to this show before, um, you know that I only ever play like little snippets of things to just be illustrative, you know, and sort of give you a hint of music. But that one was just too good. I just had to leave that rolling. Um, Isabel, is that okay to put on the podcast? Yeah. that's Oh, that's fine, so John, The yeah. label's not going to come after me, is it? No, 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 no. Well, no, because what we were discussing earlier, you are the label. I'm the label, John. You and are I, the head and I only honcho. just... Bl- I only just that out. I was about to swear. <laughs> <laughs> and I only just noticed it. You, you know, just I just that you're your own realized boss. you're the fat cat. Yeah, I've just realised that. I think because well, we were talking before about how recently with my most recent album in my garden, it's been the most successful and has been um, great because I've actually earned money from it. And yeah. Now I'm able to think about investing more into my next project and I'm able to live on the, on those royalties right now. And it's just meaning that for the first time in my life, I can actually just think about my music. Whereas before, um, I've either begrudgingly had quite a heavy job to attend to or um, in a much better way had study commitments. Yeah. But they're still... You know, there's still deadlines and pressures that take you away from your music. And you were, uh, is 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 most of the money you earn from the music to do with streaming or physical sales or it's how does it work for you? It's streaming, yeah. So that so those streaming websites that like all the all the big artists complain about mm. are ac- are actually making money for artists. Yeah, they are. And and okay, it's true. If they paid a bigger percentage, I'd have made more money. That's yeah. true. I'm not defending um, how much they pay artists, but um, what has changed is that now someone that's completely independent like myself, and I I have no manager, no publisher, no record company, um, they mean that I can actually earn some money out of my music and make quite empowered decisions about what I do. 
So that wouldn't be there, say, 10 years ago. That just wasn't around. Well, here we're here. Hold on, hold on, because we nearly skipped over the new album completely. Mm, yeah, um, I mean, I hes- hesitate to call it new, but <laughs> the most recent the album. Most re- yeah, actually, that was ages ago. Yeah, it was. Because yeah. I was at the album launch. Yeah. So it was Cold Water Songs, Dark Path, and then In My Garden. And uh, I, In My Garden definitely sort of felt like the most fully formed release. Mm. And like even to the point where like the, the cover art was so well constructed and beautifully illustrated by Stephen Morris Graham. Yeah, I mean, across all three albums, Stephen Morris Graham had done the artwork and it was a really nice, um, I guess, well, kind of collaboration between my music and his art because we uh, met at a time when he was only just starting to get back into um, making or illustrating again. And... Um, and so we kind of really, and we lived together as well. So for those three years, we really sort of grew. And then um, we were also living with another artist, Trisha McNally, and then Paddy McQueen. We were also all living together. And so it was a really nice house where we were all kind of uh, developing what we were doing. Um, so Steve's artwork has kind of been on, on those three albums, um, organically growing with it, which was nice. Um but yeah, it definitely was the most fully formed, professional, well, like most well put together album, I'd say. But I was able to just concentrate on that album because I'd had to take time off because of health problems from my yes, PhD. Yes, you moved b- away from Belfast mm. again for a while. Yeah, so I was I was back home for a year and a half because I couldn't get, it was the only place I could get treatment in London. So I was having to be back home. But it meant that I had lots of, time to just think about this album and doing the album was a great was a lifesaver really in terms of being in a really like bad place and um sort of part of that was that you were suffering from tinnitus at the time yeah yeah so it I got tinnitus um and then I developed really really bad pelvic pain chronic pelvic pain and um and it was so it's one of those things where the tinnitus was really bad and then when I got the pain, that was really bad in a different way. Mm-hmm. So the when tin, the tinnitus first came on, that was awful. Like the first two months was probably the worst of my whole life. But then the, the pelvic pain was this kind of long, drawn out, really awful, slowly declining thing where at its worst, I just couldn't sit down. I could only lie down on one side or stand up. So I had to eat standing up. Oh. I had to do everything standing up and had to walk like hours every day just to walk off the pain. So doing the album, it made me start standing up when I was playing guitar, which was really good because I started performing <laughs> much better. And um, and it meant that focusing on the album was a really therapeutic thing to do when, uh, yeah, when I was going through something really difficult. So I think... In My Garden is definitely the album that I'm proudest of and um, I feel like it it stands up as representing who I am the most. This tinnitus, um, the experience of that actually led to one of the songs which is called Little Signs of Pain. That's right, yeah. Um, and actually the, something to do with the Tinnitus Society, this release? Yeah, I, um, well I, I wanted to donate all of the proceedings that it generated to the tinnitus british tinnitus association just because they're sort of at 
at the time anyway, they were really the only place that I found helpful information. Um, and they, and you know, it really, tinnitus is one of those conditions that I think people can underestimate how difficult it is. And I was genuinely suicidal. And I know lots of other people that have been and have, and other people that have taken their lives because of it. And so the BTA have a 24-hour helpline and just things like that that are really important. And um, so I wanted the song to raise awareness, but also... Yeah. Well, I mean, it was really an afterthought that it would raise awareness. I think I wrote it because it's how I was feeling. But then I wanted to link in with BTA just so that it contributes somehow to what they were doing. Uh, so the song is Little Signs of Pain from Isabel's album In My Garden and here is a little bit of it. There's a song inside of me And it murmurs restlessly Beneath the sounds of the world around me Always present in my mind It sings to me all the time A mournful song with no melody That was a little bit of Little Signs of Pain from Isabel Anderson's album In My Garden. And I have Isabel with me right now. If you've just tuned in, this is The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. If you're listening on the podcast, on iTunes or Google Play or anything like that there, thank you for listening and downloading. And remember, you can get all the old episodes podcasted. And if you're listening live right now, you can head online and search for The Jewel Case and get this pretty soon after it goes on air. Um very good at that John <laughs> thanks practice <laughs> <laughs> uh, Little Signs of Pain then was sort of uh, you giving voice to your experience with tinnitus and the phrase should I sing it out or that question that you mm. ask yourself or the listener in the chorus um, is is that like should I sing it out and will that sort of uh, empty the sounds out of the ears is that what that means yeah, I, th- I think it kind of is. Like, but where that came from was that at the time that I got tinnitus, there was a lecturer at Sark who also had tinnitus. And she said to me, because um, I'd only had it for a few weeks, there was still a chance that it was going to fizzle out, you know. And she said, well, the best way to try and distract yourself from the sound and help it fade away is to do things that take your mind off it and just think of an activity that you do where you don't think about it. So I thought, well, I guess singing, you know, and playing a song. So I guess, yeah, the idea is that by singing, you yeah, you get it out of you or you let it leave. And on the track, um, there's violin. Yes. By one of your other collaborators, uh, Ruby Colley. Yeah. Yeah, so I met Ruby um, just like about a month after I'd first got tinnitus and she had it herself and she developed it about a year before me 
So it was really, really, really great that I got to meet someone who could talk to me about it. Um, and someone who was also a musician and a successful one and was had got to a point where she was, you know, living with it quite functionally or happily. So it gave me a lot of hope that I could keep playing music and keep doing all the things I wanted to do. Um, but there was, yeah, there was a gig that Gassia couldn't do, um, a Glastonbury gig, and Ruby stepped in for it and um, we all travelled down Dave from No Alibis drove us down in, in his car to Glastonbury and we just got to know each other and it, it turned out that we had loads in common um, she'd grown up in the same part of England as me and then she'd gone and done her undergrad at Dartington um, which I had done and then she'd gone to Belfast so um, we had a lot in common so then she then we started collaborating because we both ended up being back in England at the same time mm. Um so Ruby plays violin on about five tracks on In My Garden. Well, here, I'm going to do a complete flip-flop mm. and segue into, and we don't even have that much time left, I but I want to talk a little bit more about your artistic practice that's not quite song-based, mm. more narrative-based with speech and voice. Um, and this is sort of emerging from your research at the Sonic Arts Research Centre in Belfast. Yeah. Um we have a couple of um, sort of portions of your work that I'd like to sort of play and talk about. And the first one is um, from a project that you coordinated, produced, um, called Last Night's Party. Mm-hmm. Um, will I play a little bit of it? Yeah. It begins on top of a hill. I can see for miles. Sometimes there is snow on top of the hills in the distance. There are always birds singing. And there is always traffic in the distance. Sometimes a plane flies overhead. I always begin looking out over the meadows and hills from this point as if I'm looking for something. Well, it it always starts um, on a hill, and there's a big house, but um, it's not there anymore. Now there's a car park, and I'm standing on the hill, and I'm looking, I'm looking out over a meadow, and there's there's hills in the background. Um, sometimes there's snow on the hills if it's winter. And I feel scared. Um, I don't know why. And I feel sad. Um, but it's a really, it's a really pretty view. It's, it's a really dramatic landscape. And there's a path that leads down uh, in front of me, but I don't. I never take that. I always. I walk back across the car park um, and I can see in the distance there's a, a path that goes into the forest and um, I keep walking and I keep walking and then I hear something. So that is a little bit of audio from last night's party which was 
like call it a project. Yeah, it was a sound walk. It was a sound walk. Yeah, yeah. You, know, I, you know what? It's confusing me because I worked with you on a sort of extension of that, but so the original piece was a sound walk. Yeah. Um, and uh, this took place in Beaver Forest Park. Yeah, Beaver Park Forest. Beaver I Park believe. Forest. Yeah. So that's that's Castle Ray, isn't it? Uh, no, oh, that's no, um, that's the Lagan Valley Regional Park. Oh, we're still still in the Lagan Valley. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For our Lisbon listeners. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just on the cusp of Belfast, really. And the idea is that um, the uh, audience are supplied with um, mobile devices that play the audio and you lead them while they're listening on headphones through the park and that little narration that you're giving is actually accompanying their visual experience, their physical experience mm-hmm. as they go on that journey. Yeah, and um, so as they, the walk lasts about 25 minutes, I think, and the further you get into the forest there's more visual clues that start popping up in the landscape that I've obviously planted there that become part of the story. And a lot of the themes in the story are um, pathways and memory and Mm -hmm. the way that um, how memories start to warp the more you remember them I was really interested in this and how that relates back to the gramophone and the groove on the disc and how each time the needle goes into the disc the more it warps it and records get old and worn out the more you play them and that's kind of the same Are you as saying that memories. we're all getting old and worn out? <laughs> yeah <laughs> I remember you telling me about that at the time actually because you were listening to a lot of um uh, psychology and science podcasts and radio shows mm. I think and uh, this is one of the ideas that came out of one of them that the, each memory we have each time we remember it we're remembering the memory yeah. in a way rather yeah, than the actual right. event yeah we're, we're not remembering the actual event and I was reading um, see I'm terrible my memory is terrible <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> but I was reading a book by something Hitler there's going to be people listening to this who are going to know what this is instantly and I can't remember the name of the book and I can't remember but it's about the gramophone and about that idea of um, the needle on the gramophone being very like the way that our brain keeps retracing Mm. memories but then you can also look at pathways and the more you walk the pathway and Richard Long is an artist that's really shown this in his work but the more you walk the pathway the more it distorts or the more ingrained it gets um and the, and the harder it is to change it then. It's the same with memories and thoughts. And yeah. the more you think something, the harder it is to change that. So the piece kind of explores those but those themes by actually walking um, and listening, you know. And so the more you kind of listen to this voice, the more it starts to bring you into this world. And it's based around um, the folk tales about fairy abductions and where traditionally it's kind of young women that get lured by music to dance with the fairy king mm-hmm. and sometimes it's that they these young women go to sleep and in their dreams they get lured away and but whatever way it is these women get abducted for in the region of about seven years but to them they think they've only been gone a night and they come back or they wake up 
and everything has changed and people have gone or died and you know and they're suddenly very old oh. and um it's like going into space older. yeah it's a bit like if you went into space and got lost yeah um, there's a tv show about that um whenever i um <laughs> heard this first i actually missed completely that the sound walk happened i don't know how this is oh right yeah promotion well, for think, sound art in belfast yeah yeah um, but belfast sound walks was a project that then um, it then became emerged. part of that yeah, yeah and this was an app um released a couple of people worked on it like pedro bello matilde mirales and and me uh worked on it and um conjunction with loads of composers at Sark to put together lots of these different sound walks but they'd be mobile activated so um, you'd get one app and then you could sort of download different sound walks within it around Belfast and uh, I used some that were to do with my lag inside project and Aidan Deary had one and Paul Wilson other composers and your one was actually sort of like a look at of media retelling mm-hmm. of last night's party mm-hmm. so that instead of just being as you, you you were able to guide people in person on the original mm-hmm. sound walk but this one would people would be led by little markers on the map on their phone and then the sound would activate when they stepped on the marker so to that's speak. right yeah and there's me running around with a, a android okay. phone and my iphone <laughs> around the forest park uh trying to see if the reception would be good enough <laughs> yeah. to get it and it, it did work yeah it did end, yeah, yeah 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 i think i think because of the because the forest isn't what i liked about the forest is it's not necessarily the easiest to navigate because there are so many little tiny pathways yeah and it's it's quite big, you know, and I spent a good month going every day for a minimum of four hours and just walking it so that I knew every single little back path and everything. But it meant that when we were making it for an ready to, to be an app, yeah, it you couldn't just sort of give somebody you know, walk along the river. It wasn't as simple as that. So yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> oh, you, you, had to, <laughs> you had to do all the running around and... um but it was nice that it was in that format because it meant that more people could potentially access it. Whereas before, yeah. it was yeah, it was just a one-off performance for I think there were eight people that came on the walk. Um, and this sound walking as a sort of medium or an art form, I guess. Um, it's influenced by artists like Hildegard Westerkamp and Janet Cardiff. Yeah. Um, who produced these sort of CD sound walks, but also even just ones that you can listen to that are imagined sound walks as well. Uh, yeah, it was it was very influenced by both of them actually, and I think that the the voice, the how I'm using my voice, and how all of my spoken word stuff emerged during my PhD that really started through Laurie Anderson actually mm. a long time ago. Um, and some of the stuff that I did in my undergrad undergraduate degree was spoken word stuff, kind of similarly um, experimental. Sort of like the the avant garde, yeah, performance with, art, speech. Yeah, work. yeah, with with sound that, like in in my earlier kind of undergrad stuff, it was almost kind of Philip Glassy style vocal things that would be these patterns of vo- vocal patterns running in and out of each other creating these little backdrops with these kind of Laurie Anderson style spoken word things on the top Um, so I've always been really interested just in the voice really and all the different ways that you can use the voice so I found in my more uh, like 
yeah, experimental stuff that I've done, I've explored just different things that I haven't explored in my music as much. And um, moving on from last night's party, then sort of the next, um, next sort of sound, narrative, memory, field recording, VS project, because all these things sort of roll into one, like all these, which I really enjoy in these projects, there's lots of ideas coming together mm. um, to make a, a weird sort of interdisciplinary work. Uh, is the, the, the work, your next work on this sort of vibe or format was Going Under? Yeah, that's right. So Going Under um, is based on the River Ouse, which goes through my hometown in East Sussex called Lewis. Um, and so the River Ouse... Um, was somewhere that I would go every day nearly and walk. And so a, a piece just started naturally emerging. And it was from this time that I talked about earlier where I was, um, I had this really, really bad pelvic pain c- condition. And so, like I was saying before, I had to walk a lot every day just to kind of walk the pain off. And also being in water was one of the only times that I wasn't in pain because you're floating and you're not kind of touching things. So um, so I started to become really interested in what it was like to be underwater and what it would be like to be underwater in the river and started doing a piece about this and how this idea of going under transgresses into all these other things like hypnotism and drugs and dreaming um, as well as physically going underwater. So um, I started to write this. It's not really a narrative, it's more... Um, I don't know, it's just a kind of vocal meandering through these, all these different places and some bits are about um, drugs and, and natural, my actual experience of going on heavy pain medication. So I wrote that those, I wrote that bit when I was actually really, really drugged up and, you know, so I wanted to like, <laughs> like it's almost, uh, like, it's a bit like Keith Richards, yeah, you know, John? Say. Yeah. <laughs> Said Barrett. <laughs> Yeah, but on prescript <laughs> prescription medication. Um, but it's, so it's almost like it does document that time quite a lot. Um, but it also takes um, field recordings of, of under the water with hydrophones and beside the river as well. And then how's this work actually presented? Is it as a it's playback both, performance or are you live? Yeah, it's both live. It's been both live and also a stereo, fixed stereo work. Um, which yeah basically means sitting in a room listening to it for anyone that doesn't know what that means it's a silly it's one of those terms that makes it sound better than it is yeah but no I mean it's it's designed to be listened to like that so it's either sitting in a dark room listening to it through nice a nice uh, speaker system or I've performed it live which I Personally, that's my preferred way of presenting I th- I it. I think I've seen you do this long live at, yeah, in the Sonic Lab done, yeah. one time in Belfast and in a swimsuit. Yes, yeah, 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 with wet hair. <laughs> that was the selling point, really, yeah. <laughs> for the yeah. show. Oh, there was sure. a torch and there was, it was like a like personal yeah. lighting effect. It was really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I wanted it to be... Um, so it's pitch black and then every time I speak, I light myself up with this torch, but I'm in a different part of the room and I'm doing something different. So there's a bit where I'm talking about getting um, sedated for a nerve block in hospital. And so for this bit, I'm sitting on a table and I'm using the torch to light up parts of my like my legs and I'm 
drawing on my body with this felt tip pen the way that the doctor did to sort of mark my body as if it were a piece of meat really to stick a needle into and you just yeah. stop feeling like a body anymore or human you feel like just a a thing a living thing so in that bit you, I'm lit up on this table and then in another bit I'm lit up looking down into the sonic lab floor as if it's the river I'm looking down into the water and then another bit I'm lit up um like the other side of the stage and I walk across the stage and create these big shadows so that there's these big shadows going across the wall so I just was sort of using different that's meandering a bit sorry John well meandering is sort of the key word well, it is, of yeah. field recording and sound yeah, art it, and it had to be meandering and dreaming <laughs> so we, we, let's play a little bit of an excerpt I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure where to jump in on this but this is a little excerpt of Going Under take a deep breath no I mean a really deep breath so the person sitting next to you can hear Or if there is no one there, imagine there is someone who could hear. Now take another deep breath, and this time, gently close your eyes when you breathe out. Now feel the contact between your body and the ground. Feel the weight. Now listen. sentences that come in halves. You can't complete them. They trickle through too quickly. Your head wants to move, to swing from side to side. Your mouth feels big, soft, like it's some kind of food you want You sway as if you were in the middle of the ocean. You speak as if there was someone there, but there is no
excerpt from Going Under by Isabel Anderson. You are still with the jewel case. We're going long tonight. Mm. Too much interesting <laughs> things to talk about. This is the problem when I get uh, an artist in who has a bit too much in common with me musically uh, yeah. and uh, conceptually. So uh, we've talked about Isabel's um, songwriting and her pop music as a recording artist. Let's get that recording right. Artist, recording John. artist, John. And uh, now we're talking more about what well, you're still a recording artist, but producing. Still recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is, I guess, broader, more broadly known uh, or c- conceived of as sound art. I just thought, uh, I think. I'm waving my hands about so frantically here <laughs> trying to com- compile a sentence that makes sense. <laughs> well, you're doing very well, John. No, I just thought that um, for my next album, maybe I'll. In, on the merch table, I'm going to have a T-shirt that says "Still Recording." <laughs> Still got it. <laughs> Still recording, John. Or the, can I do that as your like intro, as your like hype guy? Yeah. Hey, still yeah. recording, based in Belfast. <laughs> Whether it's sound or music, she's still in the recording <laughs> she studio. Still got it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still there. Um, let's let let's dig in a bit because we've really glossed glossed over the the, the nuts and bolts and trying to tell your story so we, we've had a little bit of these pieces that work with narratives composed narratives but also based on memories and real life experiences um as an artist who also sits down with a guitar and writes songs then um what's the difference in experience when you go and sit down with a microphone in front of your laptop and start recording these voiceovers um I think probably the main difference is time, really. It takes a lot longer. Where right. When, well, well, I say that, I'm not one of these people that can churn songs out every week. You know, I'll, I gen- generally what I find is that the songwriting process is quick, but the gestation period is long. Mm. So you mean like the editing process and like the no the, the crafting or no not the the pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> oh oh so the pre song yeah, yeah. Right, okay so like just, it, it takes a long time for and it's just to be honest I think it's the way that it should be you have to live and then you write and you live and you write and you can't write 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 and not live yes otherwise you're like a level poetry. About, yeah, um, and you and you end up matter. saying the same thing again and again and yeah. again, and you tell the same story over and over. And I think that, so with my songwriting, it's quite an intuitive process that takes a long time. And I, there'll be things like the title track on Dark Path. That melody was in my head for seriously about three years. What a hit. <laughs> yeah. That's longer than Bohemian Rhapsody was number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a hit in my head. Um, so I, I don't know, like it just kept popping up and I'd forget it again for months and I'd think, oh, there was that melody I really liked and I can't remember it now. And then, you know, one day it was just the right time, the right things or the wrong things that happened in my life that meant that I wanted to sit down and, and it just, I wrote it in 10 minutes. But it was all that time of it being around with me but I didn't know it yet. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I have. You have this, to get to know it, and then yeah. you can write about it. Then you can write it when you know it. Um, so I'm not somebody that I, I know other people that can write really easily or quickly, um, again and again, and I can't. But the difference between writing a song and writing one of these pieces is 
it's probably like there's a lot of similarities in that say the words that I'm writing are very intuitive the words that are in those sound pieces come from me walking mm-hmm. I don't sit down and finally craft my writing so that it's perfectly saying everything that I want it to I walk and I write and then I walk a bit more and then I write and then I walk a bit more and they're always about certain landscapes so that the words have always got to tie into those landscape landscapes but they tie in with all these ideas I'm having at the time like for last night's party the idea of memory uh-huh. and when memory starts to override real life because there's something in the memory that we want more than what's happening in real life and when do you start to live in a memory rather than a reality so um finding ways of look of manifesting that in the forest or if you look at it another way spending time in the forest to let it reveal those things to you was a big part of that process and so the field recording and the writing and the images that i then worked mm-hmm. with afterwards in the studio to r- jog my memory you know and all those things it all came from time spent in a place so i guess in a way you could say it's similar in that there's a big pregnancy and yeah. then the thing comes out <laughs> you construct these narratives that sort of describe the place or then to come come on to take on these metaphors to tell a story of what you're experiencing or what you want to share but you're moving more and more towards this idea of actually constructing these memories or experiences live and actually recording your thoughts and feelings on mic into the field recording device mm. while you're there. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think um, I've always been really interested in intuition and improvisation and just reaction and not editing yourself. And then editing yourself afterwards, you know, and and how those different processes all feed into one another. And so I started to, I just started to really trust that I could, I could make things while in those places. Um, And me and a colleague at Sark, Talis Rene, started doing a project called Thoughts in the Field. Shout out Talis. Yeah. (laughs) Who's left? Oh, the city boy has gone. He's gone, yeah, he's gone to the city. Um, Yeah, so we started working together on Thoughts in the Field and where we would just send each other little sound diaries where we'd start making a field recording and then just talk on top of it about what we were listening, like what we were recording to, what sounds were in the environment, what they made us think about, why we'd started recording in the first place, why we were there, you know. And um, just building up a big picture around the act of making as much as what's made and trying to, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty of it, but there's been a bit of a kind of um, interest in recent years about the field, the field recording as opposed to, like, the recordist as opposed to the recording. Yeah. And it's long overdue so I think that me and Talis were both kind of into that into that discussion that really hadn't hadn't started at the time and we kind of played a part in starting that I guess or 
we joined in in that discussion. Yeah, it's, it's now the literature about field recording is like starting to take more notice of the 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 action and that the act mm. that that you being there affects the surroundings and the listener's interpretation. Yeah, of, and that, of that it's not quite as documentary in no. the true sense of like it's not evidence, like it's not no. court evidence. No, and that you know nothing. Nothing you do as a living, breathing, feeling human can be as abstracted as that. So it's kind of acknowledging and really owning and welcoming all of your mistakes and references and associations and thoughts and feelings and not seeing them as, you know, muddying the, the perfection of the recording. Yeah, and it's it's sort of blind to um, assume that you're going to create this great field recording. I mean, we're, we're all guilty of it, sort of recording yeah. these like outdoor sounds or if you're doing any sort of like recording, like, trying to get birdsong or whatever, yeah. and like editing out the boring bits and then focusing on these things and making something that's not quite true, but it's like a hyper-realized. And people have yeah. been doing that for years in film sound, mm-hmm. you know, making a hyper-real version of a soundscape to the point where we feel like that's how sound is and behaves, but it's actually like through a lens. Yeah, and I think that there's always a time and a place for different approaches and I would never say that, you know, that's not the right way to go about things for certain projects. But to completely ignore or even actively deny that part of it, the kind of human, Mm -hmm. um, imperfect, dysfunctional, emotional... Um, Are you describing yours and Tolis' relationship? Yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dysfunctional. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you're sending each other your sign diaries and is there a sense of competitiveness of like who's getting who more material or um, does his last recording shape how you're going to deliver your next one? I, no, do you know, I wouldn't say competitiveness, but I would say that just real like, it's just really nice to find someone who wanted to do that, really. Yeah. You know, and just really nice to listen to a recording he's made and he's really nailed something. Like, I remember there there was one in particular I loved where he was... See, he went to all these exotic places, John. He gets around. I ended up, you know, hanging off the cliff edge in a... <laughs> like a windswept cliff on the Hebrides or... They don't really have cliffs, but a windswept cliff somewhere or a, a rainy island in the Hebrides. He'd be in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Um... But, yeah, so he'd send me these recordings from far-flung places. Um, but there's one where he's on the cusp of a jungle. I'm not sure whether this is in Brazil or it's somewhere else, but um, he's talking about how he's only on the cusp, but if he'd gone into the middle of the jungle, the sound would be very different and you'd sound, you'd hear uh, different kinds of animals and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but he was too cowardly to go in he's you know <laughs> understandably yeah. uh, worried about getting bitten and that kind of thing by nasty creepy crawlies um but i thought that was really interesting because when you're out field recording you do make so many decisions that then shape the recordings you bring back for sure so for me if i hadn't have been up up for walking into the river and going waist deep in water, I wouldn't have got some of the recordings I got. Um, but, you know, maybe somebody else would have... 
You could have bought further. the sound effects compilation and got it instead. Yeah, like, could that be funny yeah. if Tullus was actually just sending you <laughs> yeah. little edited things he got from BBC Sound Effects yeah, Library? Yeah, that'd be great. And he was actually just sitting in a in a living room in Hull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're on to you, Tullus Rennie. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I think, like, I think all those decisions that you make when you're field recording are really important. But they, this isn't about a macho thing or anything, but... It's just because you forget they're important. They rarely get told. So for him to be telling you that on the recording, I thought was just uh, really nailed a part of field recording, which doesn't always get talked about. It's the common sense nearly. And it's the the things you take for granted and your automatic reactions. Mm. Um, I was reading a health and safety policy thing yesterday and, you know, doing like sort of health and safety... uh, hazards and risks assessments and you know its advice was to you know keep walking around your place of work because you're so used to it that you don't realise all the things because you take it all for granted and that's sort Mm. of for me that sounds like the same thing that goes on when you're field recording you take for granted all little things that you just naturally do yeah and also you spend so much time out you know and when you're recording you will spend hours just recording something or walking to get somewhere to record something and then walking somewhere else because there was too much wind where you thought you'd record and all that stuff. So you spend so much time out there, you just forget all of this stuff. In another way, is the audio diary sort of um, kind of an, an analogy to something that's you know happening ever more so in photography, um, self-portraiture? Well, I think, do you know, I think this is really interesting and... I'm sure that one of the reasons why in sound studies people are now starting to talk about the recordist is because of this culture of self-portraiture, which has happened in social media. We've very healthily avoided the word selfie um, because yeah, it's been yeah. it's been taken from the user by GMTV and Ellen and everybody, yeah. uh, this hashtag selfie thing. But yeah. but the, the user-generated media that floods the internet um, and, and audio... Blogs and diaries, like podcasts are, are, are massive, but the audio blogs and diaries by users aren't as mm-hmm. popular, mm-hmm. really. Maybe that's just with visual um, dominance of our telephones. Yeah. we. I mean, there's no doubt that we're a very visually orientated culture, for sure. And we're just, it's not just about um, visual stimuli, though. It's just about constant distraction and that's the thing I think many people would find it very hard to sit down and really listen to a 10 minute audio recording of somebody talking yeah they just would and that's why a we lot are of the not time going to put this on iTunes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it's why you know the medium of um electroacoustic works that are played in pitch black rooms on very nice um, speaker systems feels so great actually because it's just a brilliant way of listening well it's so, it's so alien to the everyday media yeah, consumption it's like a fetish actually as well yeah for and you who can't really into it. you can't look at your phone you know I mean obviously you could but you'd get hopefully chucked out or you wouldn't be able to find it because it's I, pitch black I've, I've done it I've been that person oh but. John <laughs> <laughs> I probably have too but <laughs> but you know it's it's not like if you're in your bedroom and you think 
oh, okay, I'll just check whether that person liked my Facebook photo as I'm listening to this thing. And I'll, you know, make sure that email got sent. And, you know, there's so many distractions. So it's not just a visual thing. I think as a culture, we just cannot focus on things now in the same way that maybe we did before. So maybe that's why audio diaries haven't taken off. And that's why I would never imagine that me and Talis's sound diaries would have many people listening to them you know and I, I don't think we ever did them for that reason we did them to try and get a dialogue started up uh-huh. about these things because we knew that if we sat down and just talked about it we'd miss out things that were really important because you forget them and um part of the part of the art is putting yourself in that position out in the field of in the moment verbalizing what's going on it's a it's a whole different thing in itself. And this project, are you going to be publishing it in any way? Some of the, some some recordings are already on SoundCloud. Yes, um, yeah, some of them are on SoundCloud, and we've got a WordPress uh, site called No, is it Tumblr? Terrible. www.thoughtsinthefield.tumblr.com. <laughs> Thoughts in the field, and if you if you search yeah. for Thoughts in the Field and Tullus Rennie, Isabel Anderson, yeah, you'll be able come to find up. it. It'll come up. Um, so yeah, and, and you know, maybe, maybe we'll get some writing out and maybe we'll hopefully get some of it, like maybe a composition put together and performed. Does that though frame, reframe it in, well, not necessarily in a worse way or whatever, but does that take away something of the, if you, if you were to compose them in a certain way, or is, is that maybe just, you could conceive that as a curation that communicates the project effectively in a different way. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is that then, so we have have worked on a piece together which hasn't been put out publicly yet, but in that process we were kind of using a lot of our um, skills that we'd normally use for our more kind of soundscape-y, electroacoustic-y pieces like what you've just heard, but using these sound diaries as our raw files to then compose with. So... It kind of, I guess in a way it's a bit of a collage, but at the same time it becomes something else. Do you then do a voiceover as the engineer in the studio? No, no, but I mean that... <laughs> That's that another be, layer. No, that is another layer, yeah. No, that, that might be something that would be interesting to do, actually. It sort of goes back to Westerkamp again. Yeah, it um, does, uh, yeah, Her Kid sure. Speech Soundwalk piece, which is a radiophonic work, and like your soundwalk is sort of narrates mm. an experience, but then... Um, that piece Kit Speech Soundwalk um, then sort of transforms and she reveals that she's mm. actually just sitting in a studio and it's she's Definitely. the whole point of it is to highlight that element of the producer. Definitely. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, me, me and Talis have kind of um, been exchanging ideas on this as well and that people, you know, Luke Ferrari probably was the first person that did this, really verbalised thoughts and associations as the as the maker or recorder mm-hmm. or recordist and then Hildegard Westerkamp did it did this as well like you just said and then that idea kind of got dropped <laughs> really and people like Janet Cardiff who we've talked about came yeah. along who who did something similar but it was fictional even though I'm sure there was a lot of herself in yeah, it for sure. you know but it was framed as a fictional thing um and then it's only been the last kind of five years that this has been picked up again 
and even massive movement in this yeah. sort of work now. Yeah, and especially just because you've got you yourself, you've got Tullus, you've got me, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of other people um, like Matilda at mm-hmm. Sark working with the sort of field recordings and voice and text narrative. Yeah, um, there was a lot of energy, especially in Belfast. Um, so I guess there was a like Gassia actually wrote mm-hmm. a, a paper about it called yeah, "Recomposing right. the City" about all these sound works happening in Belfast. So. Um, we had a little bubble, actually, yeah. of really intense energy about this sort of <laughs> one horribly intense. <laughs> it was, it was horribly intense energy it was about insufferable. this insufferable, like bringing back, um, looking into all of these artists, like like Ferrari, yeah. Wesser Camp, um, and Crewy Chavez was another person. Who, yeah, I forgot yeah. him because he finished yeah. his PhD too early. Yeah, that's he, I guess he kind of pioneered that resurgence at Sark anyway. Didn't yeah, he? he was. Uh, yeah, he was definitely at the forefront of that. Um, but I mean, there's other people that we could forget, like. Matt Green, he was there yeah. even before he, and he was making really interesting locative media work. So shout out to Matt as well. Um, I have to <laughs> tag all these people on Facebook yeah. and tell them we were talking about yeah. them. Their ears are burning. Yeah, um, yeah. So th- there's one more work that we want to sort of talk about, um, and it's called "These Places Should Only Ever Be Imagined." And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that one, or do we, should we hear a bit of it first? Uh, let's hear a bit first. Okay. Sheltered from the storm that whipped around us one morning. The big bin lid thudding in the wind. The cairns far up on that hill. The empty village, its skeletal buildings lashed in the rain. The house that keeps time with two grandfather clocks. you need more than one when water dislocates you from the mainland. A different rhythm wants to move. Perhaps a movement with no rhythm. Just tones that echo out over the bays. So a little taste of these places should only ever be imagined by Isabel Anderson. You are still listening to The Jewel Case, uh, whether you're listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM or FM 105. Thanks for sticking with us. We are going over time because Isabel's got a lot of interesting work to talk about. Isabel, tell us a little bit about um, how these places should only ever be imagined came about and then what format it was presented in. Well, it came about because I'd been reading about um, different islands off the British Isles, really. Um, And I was talking to someone who has a house on Harris and they said, well, if you ever want to stay, then you're very welcome. And I took up the offer because I just thought it would be really interesting to make a piece out on an island because... I'd, I'd done a piece in Beaver Park Forest that was sort of forest and then I'd done a piece in the River Ooze and that was river and I'd done a piece in Belfast which was sort of city and then I thought well island would comes be comes next before jungle though. oh god yeah you don't you won't catch me in a jungle John I thought I'd do the island so I went to Harris and I spent a week on Harris and I just decided to go there with no preconceptions 
other than obviously the things I'd read, I'd been mm -hmm. reading that had got me interested anyway. But I didn't have a plan of, okay, it's going to be about this. It was just going to document my time on Harris. So it goes through um, almost like a kind of diary, really, where I'm reading out a diary that covers seven days. And um, it just talks about all the different places I encounter through walking. And um, so one of them is this very remote and completely unknown about really hilltop with these all these cairns like ancient ancient cairns um which unlike a lot of other places like that aren't recorded on the os map or anything ah. um so the person i was staying with took me there and um who's piers hallowell from queens oh. so shout out to piers hi piers yeah hi piers um so he kindly took me up to show me um, the Cairns and then another day He I, was just strolling about looking for inspiration for his next oh, piece he was, was he? Oh probably yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely I think he goes there to compose a lot so oh, yeah wow. probably was and then on another day I went to um, an abandoned village um, called Linger Bay and then another another day I went to an abandoned village called Strubersaig and on another day I walked this walk that goes across the island which is called the Coffin Route which is where they supposedly took the dead across to be buried on the west side of the island because the east is too rocky. Uh, so they they actually had to physically carry the coffins across the island to do this. Um, so the piece just documents this and it documents um, that what it's like to be somewhere remote and to be doing that, really. Yeah. And all of the the boredom that sets in and the fear that sets in sometimes. It's a dark piece because I heard it at uh, the Jam Jar in the Black oh, Box. Yeah, it yeah. was played um, at that last year. Yeah. That was in the last run of the Jam yeah, Jar series because right, yeah. it's just started up again. Mm -hmm. And um, you played a little bit of it. Did you just play the whole thing or just the like a portion? Thing, yeah. yeah. And and like you're saying, I kind of brought, it's, it's quite performative. You know, I've started to really want to perform what I'm doing more. So it's performed on, with a backdrop of these big um, landscape photographs from Harris and each, they, they kind of transition gradually so that as the story takes you on these different walks, you see the landscapes changing. Um, and I'm sitting in front of it in white, so the landscape's kind of projected onto my body, um, which is quite simple, but yeah, quite effectively shows this very kind of immersive the bleeding between self and place and well i i'm really interested in this um turn this conceptual turn in your practice and how, how you present it when you perform it live because the body is quite important and you're developing sort of just seemingly uh, piece by piece these really interesting but so simple techniques um to work with light projection darkness and sound with your body and your live voice as well. So, I mean, I'm fascinated to see when you do a new piece in this sort of medium, and I'm really interested to see how this in some way can be then injected into your live performance of your um, music that you make as a recording artist. Recording artist, John. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, because I feel like there's some there's some real fertile ground to be explored there, and sure. in the way that you meander around these rural landscapes and and get your legs stuck deep into the river, <laughs> um, I think that you can get your legs stuck deep into how this and pop music and song 
can work in a different way on stage. Mm, I think um, so. Not as yeah. a traditional sort of singer with a guitar on stage. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, you know, for a start, because uh, yes, I've had various health problems over the last few years, yeah. which has really transformed the way that I think about my body, and also um, that yeah, the way that I can use my body. So I I am pretty sure. Now, at the moment, anyway, I, there's no way I can build a music career around me playing guitar um, for lengths of time regularly. So I'll definitely have to um, get other people to be involved more, um, which would also, though, free me up to explore new things. For sure. Um, and I really, really want to start, you know, doing more experimental things in my performance of my music and... I think that the next album that I do is going to be it's it's probably not going to be as acoustic. It's definitely going to have acoustic textures in it for sure. But it will branch out m- more definitely. And because apart from anything else, I just simply cannot replicate what I've done before now. I physically can't do it. But I also don't want to replicate. I want to keep d- evolving. Yeah, and with these sort very of like limitations, Madonna, actually, yeah. aren't I? <laughs> very. I mean, m- probably chief recording artist if, who yeah, comes to mind. I think so. Um, you know, we had a lot of we had a wee playlist actually lined up, um, but as every episode of the Jill Kiss goes, I can't get through it all. <laughs> I just can't. I just want to yeah, chat too no. much. But we've had loads of your music. We got to wind up soon. Um, so the tracks we lined up by people like FKA Twigs and Evie Jane and Rosie Lowe and also PJ Harvey that have been influencing you recently in terms of your like how you're mus- making music with electronics and sort of like these deep bass things that I feel like I think I think that's where you're going mm, like I deep am, bass yeah. dark electronica yeah I am I um, think I think it's going to be a mix of folk R&B electronica and also the the melodies that you sing so fit with that anyway mm, the yeah, sort of, I think, and you're already making that sort of deep dark sound I think it was always in my head radiophonic work yeah yeah for sure it was always in my head and I think that I've been labelled with ho- um, hope <laughs> been labelled with folk <laughs> in the past because everyone with an acoustic guitar uh-huh. is labelled as a folk musician there was this folk turn you know yes. which came with authenticity and, and you know all that stuff but I never set out to be a folk musician. I always set out... Really, my heroes are people like Portishead, as well as Sandy Denny, as well yeah. as, you know, uh, Nick Drake. Um, so we're going to get the Isabel Anderson trip-hop turn. Oh, I think so, oh, yeah. yeah. there's gonna Yeah, definitely going to be some trip-hop there. Dry yeah. hi-hats. Yeah. Deep subby bass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, a few soundscapes and <laughs> some nice vocal processing... Well, Well, we're going to have to call it a day here. Um, We have we just we could just talk for hours. We've already been talking for hours. It's such a you know because I when I was thinking about coming on, I was like thinking of all the tracks I want to play of other people. Yeah, and we ended up just doing my stuff. (laughs) So you wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) That that partly my fault, but also you know what I'll put I'll put up um, maybe maybe a link to like a little playlist that people can play at home. Yeah. That that would sort of like accompany their f- idea of what a future Isabel Anderson is yeah, going to be shaped okay. like, or at least um, what Isabel Anderson is listening to. Yeah, right that'd be now. good. I'll put up a wee playlist of yeah. what people can listen to. Um, yeah. You can f- you if you go to the jewelcase dot that's the jewelcase dot um, you'll you'll find uh, shortly after this goes on air, you'll find uh, the the full 
podcast to listen again and you'll also find a little playlist of what Isabel's listening to and to give you a flavour right now of where she's going she did a little remix of um, one of the tracks from In My Garden you actually did like a little remix EP yeah I asked a few people to um, including Tullis actually to contribute a remix of whatever song they wanted from the In My Garden album okay so um there was, a, you know, obviously mainly people from Belfast, actually. So someone called Paul McCarthy, who was, also goes by the name D-Twist. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Um, he did one. And then Claire Hall, who has been on uh, The Jewel Case. Yes, Claire was a couple of yeah. weeks ago. Hi, Claire. So her Venus Dupree um, alter ego did a remix as well. Like a sort of disco housey sort yeah, of version. Yeah, yeah. So it was really nice. Like All of the remixes are really different. Um yeah, and so I've just recently put that out on Spotify. But you did your own remix. I did. Uh, yeah, I remixed Little write Sounds the of theme Pain. Write the theme tune, sing the theme yeah. tune. <laughs> remix your own song. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a one-woman show, John. Yeah, well, you can't do it all. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think you've got to... You, there's, yeah, you've got to do both. It's not. I like collaborating with the right of, people. Have you um, ever collab- or producing or remixing other people? I would be re- interested in that for sure. Like, if somebody... For sure, if somebody came along and said, I like the sound of In My Garden or I like the sound of your remix or whatever, can you produce something I'm doing? I'd be well up for that and I'd be well up for remixing someone. I'd also be well up for working with other producers and um, will definitely want to work with other musicians. But um, but not like you're desperate or anything. You're completely I, I really, happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm really fine just on my own, John. I'm just fine. Uh, but you know, I'm just saying, if anybody, like, like literally anyone. <laughs> oh dear. No, I'm just, I'm just really enjoying like having the freedom of finishing my PhD and just very curious and excited about doing lots of music. Cool. Well, you're go- you're moving back to Belfast um, permanently very shortly. Mm-hmm. Well, as ever, per- as permanent as permanent can be in today's Dual world. residency, John. Yeah. Get with it. Get with the programme. That's yeah, the new we're, thing. We're very welcoming of immigrants here in Northern <laughs> Ireland. Um, yeah. So we'll finish with the said remix of your own track. And the track that you yourself remixed was actually the track we played a little bit of earlier, Little That's Signs right. of Pain from In My Garden. So Isabel, thank you so much for coming into thank this you, sweltering John. studio in Lisbon 98 <laughs> FM. Um, you have been listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, and you can catch all our old episodes on the podcast that's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. It's on thejewelcase.johndarcy.com. Isabel Anderson has been a, a charming and um, f- very interesting uh, guest. I'm sure people will want to read up a little bit more about field recording and all, all the projects we've talked about today. And we'll finish with the remix of Little Signs of Paint, Isabel. Thank you. Thank you, John.
song with no melody 